Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we take each episode of Call the Midwife one by one, spoiler free, and talk about it. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about the second episode of the third season of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Juliet May and written by Harriet Warner. Harriet Warner wrote a couple of episodes in seasons one and two. The last time we saw her was uh, the seventh episode of season two, which is the one where Sister Evangelina rides a motorbike. Mm. Juliet May... This is her first episode directing Call the Midwife, but not the last one. And she also, you, Jan, may be interested to know, she also directed several episodes of Miranda. Oh, I love that show. (laughs) Which stars Miranda Hart, aka Chummy. That's right. So, let's get into our recap. Mature Jenny narrates about instincts and fear as we see pregnant mom Doris cutting hair at the docks, her husband watching on. Sister Julienne calls Trixie, Jenny, and Cynthia into her office, assigning Jenny as head sister for clinic days. Doris is seen by Dr. Turner as Jenny takes charge, leaving Trixie upset. Meanwhile, Mrs. Nellie Short is seen by Cynthia, revealing that her mother died recently. Jenny visits Doris at home to find that she's not really ready for baby and is anxious to get right back to work. Later, Doris's husband, Searle, returns home and jealously berates her for cutting men's hair. Trixie and Cynthia go to a lecture, while Jenny meets Alec for a drink to toast her promotion. At the lecture, Dr. Latham talks about birthing without fear. Sister Monica Jo knits and criticizes the lecture. Later, Cynthia talks with Dr. Latham, inviting him to speak at her mothercraft class. Meanwhile, at the pub, Jenny's night is interrupted by Alec's friends who are marching for nuclear disarmament. She is annoyed, but Alec is sweet to her, and she eventually forgives him. So the main theme that the voiceover sets up is all about instinct. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that playing out, and we'll, I expect, talk about it again at the end of the episode. But we see that playing out with the two mothers that we have in very different ways, mm-hmm. right? Like we have, I don't know, we'll we'll see it play out more, but I just want to raise that immediately. Yeah. That instinct is playing out, I think, most strongly in these two mothers and not yeah. really the other. Instinct and fear. And fear. To two, the two kind of two sides together, which is what the... Uh, lecture is about that the nurses attend yeah i do you want to talk about dr latham for a second i sure do what do you want to say about him? well i just want to say that uh dr latham himself is fictional mm-hmm. but his work is based off of dr grantley dick reed who is a real person who wrote a fairly famous book called birth without fear uh he did do some real good by uh, encouraging women to 
be with to relate to their bodies but his whole thing about primitive women birth without pain was based on zero he did zero research (laughs) he did he knew nothing so it's hilarious that it was based on nothing but it was groundbreaking to uh for future people talking about natural childbirth and uh a redirection from medical births back to compassion, which we don't really see on this show nearly, or we will in the future of the show, but like this show is already about that. Yeah. This show already focuses on the midwives and not on the uh, over-medicalization of birth. Mm-hmm. I think, like I think around, it, it gets a little more medical and then it gets less medical again. Yeah. <laughs> over the true. course of the show. Yeah. It goes back and forth a bit. Um, Dr. Latham, like, this whole exchange, his lecture, and then the exchange with Sister Monica Joan and Cynthia as the other representative. Mm -hmm. There's, like, we'll see it more going forward, but Cynthia is the representative of, like, I totally buy Dr. Latham. I am into everything he says. I trust what he says, and I, he's the authority that I'm going to listen to. Yes. Um... And Sister Monica Joan here represents, and later in the episode, Sister Evangelina will represent the, like, what does he know? Yeah. (laughs) Attitude. (laughs) And it's really interesting because I feel like they both really have a point Mm -hmm. that uh, Dr. Latham, like, Sister Monica Joan is so mean to Dr. Latham, but she's not wrong. No. Right? That, like, he's... I like the part about his a mother's instinct is dwarfed by a well-meaning but patriarchal medical profession. Like, yeah, that I think is hundred percent true. He's got something useful to say mm-hmm. for the episode and for the like. If we imagine the fictional world, like, uh, it's a good perspective to have. Uh, but then we also see talking about the primitive women and then also the way he talks about poplar. It's like it's stuck in the past. Yeah. And Trixie says, like, I think that's called poverty. Yeah. I love Trixie's line there. And uh, the way that Sister Monica Jones says women's suffering is not confined to birth alone. Mm-hmm. I hope you have a solution for that as well. Yeah. And we're absolutely going to see that dramatized in this episode mm-hmm. with Doris, especially. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it's spot on. And, like, I like Dr. Latham. I feel like he's a good character in that he's a man coming into this very uh, women-centric show. But he's, he does it not very condescendingly. Like, he actually is a good voice and he gives Cynthia power later on. And uh, he's not a villain at all. Where you would worry that a man coming in to give a lecture on childbirth to a bunch of midwives who do it every day would be a villain, but he's not. He also, just on a side note, has the most northern accent. And so it's Ah. like uh, someone from Downton Abbey was just dropped in to call a midwife, which makes me laugh so hard because I associate all, you know, northern Yorkshire accents with Downton Abbey. (laughs) So I found that funny. (laughs) Do you want to talk about the two uh, births? The two mothers? Yeah. So Doris or Nellie first? Let's talk about Doris is the focus of the main episode, so let's let's talk a little bit about Nellie first. She is uh 
so sweet, so young, mm-hmm. and has lost her mom mm-hmm. right before she's about to give birth. And that's just... I love the way that the midwives see the whole person and they see, you know, and Cynthia knows that her losing her mom is going to make it difficult to give birth is going to, and it's giving her a lot of fear and things that she needs to work through. Yeah, for sure. I like, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's what we see on the episode on this show all the time. One of the things I think that's like a central mission statement for this show is that caring for people medically, caring for women medically means caring for them the whole entire person, not just in the moment of um, medical intervention. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So she's so scared. She's so overwhelmed. There's a little bit of, it emphasizes the theme of fear. There's a little bit of touching, touchstone to Chummy, who also feels overwhelmed in a kind of blink and you'll miss her Chummy moment. Yeah. Uh, but the idea of like, I they, they could maybe have, and I wonder if there was in the script something about Chummy also being over, coming back to the theme we've seen before of Chummy doesn't have her mother. Mm-hmm. There, her mother isn't someone who can help and support her. Yeah, uh, we don't actually see that in the show, but I can see it in the background of it. You know, mm-hmm. connecting those two stories. Um, do you want to talk about Doris now? Yeah. So Doris, uh, as we'll see through the whole episode, is. A real, I find her character very fascinating. She's one of the most interesting mothers that we have on this show. She's definitely very memorable. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she's got this kind of glamorous, which we've seen before, these women who are uh, in poverty, and there's some of them who don't care, and some of them who really want to be glamorous despite poverty. Yeah. And she's one of the ones who wants to be glamorous, and she has a job. She cuts hair for both men and women. We see her only cutting men, but we hear that, like, you know, she cut Trixie's hair. <laughs> and she dyed Trixie's and hair. Dyed Trixie's hair. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious. Um, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, and her relationship with her husband is, you know, these are all elements we've kind of seen before is... But she is uh, not displaying what we have seen, which is she doesn't care about her pregnancy. She just kind of like, I just want it over with and then I can get back to work. And like, this is confusing to everyone who's dealing with her until the truth comes out. And it starts out as this mystery, right? Mm -hmm. Because she's like, uh, Jenny pegs her as complacent and Dr. Turner also pegs her as complacent. It's it's her fourth fourth child, whatever. She's complacent. But I think it's really well written and acted because there is something mysterious. Like she does there. She isn't playing it like complacency. Mm -hmm. So that, and Jenny picks up on that too. Like even from the beginning, like it's like she's, she's acting like she isn't pregnant. And then the mystery goes, kind of unravels we figure out why but at the beginning it's this like this isn't 
just like, oh, well, it's her fourth child. This is like, I am not preparing. I'm actively not preparing. Mm-hmm. It's not just I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, exactly. And and she doesn't, and she can't handle like her oldest son is talking to her belly and is excited about, you know, oh, please be a sister. I'm tired of, you know, she has four, three boys and he wants a sister. <laughs> I have to read what he says. What does he say? It's hilarious. It's one of my, like, it's sad because she, as you say, is clearly uncomfortable and we find out why and yeah but he says i hope the baby's not a brother because they just punch you (laughs) (laughs) yeah if the baby's a sister they don't like lemon drops and you can have all of them (laughs) (laughs) it's clearly like someone on the playground has told him that like their little sister doesn't like lemon drops yeah it's (laughs) it's just a great little moment yeah color yeah exactly and but she yeah yeah and we see a little bit in the section that you you talked about but i mean we've all watched the whole episode so we can say that like cyril is possessive and Mm -hmm. jealous yeah but that still doesn't explain at this point until later when we discover that the baby's not his but we see in this section that you read He's possessive and jealous, but only a little do mm-hmm. we see. And then we hear later that it's worse than we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other plot, the plot with the not nurses is that Jenny gets a promotion and Trixie is really mad about it. Yeah, she's mad. She's jealous. She's, I mean... I'm a little on Trixie's side. She Jenny over- is being a bit of a snob about she it. She overreacts, but like... No, Trixie has been there way longer. Oh, yeah. And Jenny's yeah. the new girl. I mean, it's she's season three. She's, there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's season three. She has been there a while. But, like, Trixie has been there a long time. And so it just seems natural that she would be that figurehead. But she's not. And then Jenny's reaction to becoming this figurehead is complete, like, I, I like taking the role very seriously and like it's going taking to be a tight ship from now on. Exactly, running a tight ship and <laughs> ah. just like it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know, I, I can't explain it, but it's just like oh Trixie, oh Jenny, stop doing moment. this. <laughs> I love the moment when Trixie gives Jenny her scarf and then Jenny's like I'm not coming with you, I'm going somewhere else and she takes her scarf back. Yeah. <laughs> That is cold. Yep. Um, we I said we'd come back to. Uh, I like Trixie's haircut. Did we yeah, talk about it last episode? Did, I, was it their last episode? No, I think this is the first remember. episode. This is the first episode with because the they short talk hair. about it. This yeah. episode. I can't recall whether it was their last time. Yeah, it was a big deal for women in this day and age to uh, to cut their hair short. Was uh, was a big deal. Yeah, I mean styles keep going back and forth, but. It was always, you know, cutting your hair short. Well, and there's a little throwaway line that they, she might be in trouble for it. Yeah, exactly. That the nuns might not like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then last, Trixie, I mean, uh, Jenny decides to go off with Alec instead of hanging out, instead of going to the lecture. And then Alec introduces his friends, Bill and Ben, the disarmament men. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a sub 
There's another, like, sub-theme that I'm not sure if it connects in any way to the other ones, but there's a subplot in this whole episode about peace mm-hmm. and nuclear disarmament, and we're going to have, in a little bit, the Peace Rose. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with anything? I, yeah, let's just talk about that whole plot, because I, I it feels like maybe it's uh, partly that Jenny and Trixie need to make peace, and there's discord in the in Doris's household. But I think part, like, the nuclear disarmament thing with Alec, I think is just kind of giving this historical context. Hmm. It's part of, I think it's a little clumsy in this episode, but it's part of what they have to do in this series where, like, this is taking place in the 50s. This is taking place post-World War II. And so we need little touch tones that... Poplar isn't only in its own little bubble. There is a whole wide world going on around it. And we can get caught up in like, it's only about Poplar. But moments like this and mentioning nuclear disarmament and this kind of fear that people had of nuclear war in the 50s uh, and 60s uh, is important to, to kind of have as a touchstone. But I do think it's a little clumsily done in this episode. I, I like the little moment, it's like, again, another throwaway line where Alex says that I build things, I don't want to see them destroyed. Yeah, exactly. But like, it's an interesting, again, fleshing out of his character, why he cares about nuclear disarmament, is his, why he personally cares about it, is because he builds yeah. things for people, right? Yeah, exactly. I kind of like it. Mm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it quite connects to the other things going on in thematically yeah so doris sends her boys to school and then leaves with a suitcase jenny finds her at a bus stop trying to run away and gets her to eventually confess that the baby's father is not cyril and is a black man she cannot keep the baby trixie is passively aggressively upset with jenny about her new role a woman from the Mother and Baby Society helps to make arrangements for Doris's child to be adopted, but is rude and judgmental of her. Doris plans to tell her husband that she lost the baby. Cynthia holds a class for her mothers with Dr. Latham, introducing him to Nellie Short. He lectures about taking away the mystery and fear of birth. The women talk about forceps, which worries Nellie more. Dr. Latham convinces Cynthia to lead the relaxation. Later, Sister Evangelina calls the breathing exercises the fairy way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is like what we mentioned earlier. Doris is not complacent. She actively doesn't want the baby and the mystery gets unraveled here. Mm -hmm. And we know why. Yeah. That like the two halves of the mystery we both find out kind of close to on top of each other is one that Cyril is a bully Mm-hmm. and jealous and like frightening yeah and two that the baby isn't Cyril's and since it's black she can't pretend that it is <laughs> exactly it's um it gets mentioned later on but I think we should mention it now that there is a real parallel between the other episode where the woman has a black baby is Ted and Winnie Lawson mm-hmm. uh that happens uh, I didn't write down what episode that was but do you know yeah it's 
it's like early second yeah i feel like it's second episode or third episode of the first season first season for sure yeah so uh the difference between these two situations there are a lot of similarities but there's a lot of like this is not a situation where the husband is going to ignore this is uh also this is a lot younger of a couple Ted and Winnie Lawson were older yeah. and there was a desire to like have the baby no matter what he really wanted yeah. his son and he like it's an it isn't I mean <laughs> the line that Jenny says is, can you really compare Ted with Cyril Aston yeah and like here we are comparing Ted with Cyril Aston because you can't compare them because they're very different men but you can compare them because they're in a similar situation and comparing them reveals something about both of them that mm-hmm. like it is a different uh understanding of what love is yes right yeah Cyril Aston would say that he loves Doris and that's why he wants to possess her yeah and control her and that you know he, he doesn't in the episode but it's the kind of like i just love you so much i can't stand the idea of anyone else having you yeah uh and ted is the i just love you so much i want you to be safe and happy no matter what mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just a very different picture of what love is yeah exactly and obviously ted's is better yeah <laughs> yeah so i yeah i just want to make sure we mentioned that Right away, like, it gets mentioned later on in the episode, but, like, just to show that this isn't the most unique situation in the world. This is, like, it's something that happens, and it's even something that these midwives have encountered before. Yeah. So it's not, like... But it's, once again, like, it's one of the things I love about this show, and they put it in, they make it textual, that why is every birth different? Mm-hmm. Because every story is different. Yeah, exactly. Because this is the same situation, but it's a totally different situation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Do you want to talk about Miss Ellaby, the mother who comes in and uh, to help arrange the adoption? Yeah, the woman from the mother-child. The mother-child home or whatever. Yeah. She says, consequences. So much less palatable than the actions that led to them. Mm-hmm. Smirk, smirk. And I love Sister Julienne, always the best. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like, then let us be grateful that we are not faced with them. And let us be compassionate to those who are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sister Julienne is just the perfect picture of... And maybe it's a little too perfect sometimes, but she's just the perfect picture of uh, Christianity in its most compassionate and least judgmental. And yeah, she because she's not interested in judging people. Exactly. And it's great because she has seen these situations again and again. So, like, it's not like the woman from the mother baby home can say, well, like, oh, I see all these women who are blah, blah, blah. So has Sister Julianne, and Sister Julianne is capable of having compassion. And so this woman is just, you know, awful. Yeah. And I love Sister Julianne for defending Doris and for even, like, she she isn't even really judgmental of Miss Ellaby. Yeah. She just, like, 
gently corrects her. Yeah. I think it's also, it's important for us to see this because sometimes, like, Sister Julianne can be a bit too, like, perfect. But, so it's important for us to see that there are other Christians in this world that aren't that, that aren't Sister Julianne, that are judgmental and would be, and, like, because, of course, there would be people very judgmental of this situation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jenny is, like, coping with all of this difficult thing, and she tries to talk to Trixie about it, and Trixie is super cold. Yes, exactly. Like, well, shoulders back and all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the, in, in this section that you talked about is when... Trixie realizes that Doris is giving the baby up for adoption and softens to Jenny. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the uh, relaxation yeah, class? I like... It's good. I like that it a lot where he's, like, explaining what happens and the women are, uh, you know, they're gossipy. They're not, like, perfect... Uh, lie, lie back and listen to this man. They're talking back to him and talking about forceps. And poor Nelly is there hearing all of this for the first time, which yeah. is really tough. But also, uh, I think, helpful in a way. And Sister Evangelina doesn't like it. No. She doesn't think that it's helpful for women to know what's going on. But I think... Uh, I just have to put the cards on the table. Like, I am 100% on Dr. Latham and Cynthia's side in this. I think women knowing as much as possible going into birth really does help. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm a little biased because that was 100% how I gave birth, was by knowing what was going on with my body, and it helped so much. It's interesting, though, that uh, Dr. Latham says you take away the mystery and you take away the fear. Mm-hmm. But Nellie Short, hearing about forceps only makes her more scared that is true she didn't know that was something to fear until yeah until they tell her that that's a thing yeah so a little knowledge makes her feel worse instead of better Mm -hmm. and maybe the solution maybe the answer that uh cynthia and dr latham would say is a little knowledge makes things worse a lot of knowledge makes things better yeah so like knowing and what we see her learning about forceps is very, like, clouded in mystery and fear. It's like, yeah. you'll know when you have to do them. Yeah, exactly. And this is the way that women would talk to each other. Is she just that. hears, like, there's this horrible thing that uh, you might find out about and I'm not going to tell you any more about it. Yeah, exactly. I just have to say, I remember so well talking to a woman who said, like, I'm never having kids, blah, blah, blah. And we were talking about c-sections and she was like well c-sections are so much better because they just you know cut you open take it out don't have to push anything and she's like it'd probably be easier if you were pushing it out your butt because at least your butt is designed to to uh expand to let poop out and i'm like your vagina is designed to expand to let a baby out that is and, like, the lack of knowledge that women have about their own bodies, that she was, like, aware that her sphincters would dilate for poop, but not for a baby, just blew my mind. Right. That she would, like, not know those things. 
And so, like, it's something that still goes on today. Women go into birth so clouded in mystery that it's frightening Mm -hmm. and so medical when it doesn't need to be. I'll get off my soapbox now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like your soapbox. (laughs) Also in this section, just to touch back on the uh, nuclear war thing, we have the peace roses being grown and uh, Sister Monica Joan and Sister Winifred are talking about the peace roses. Sister Monica Joan says, why is it that the English are so very good with plants and so very poor with people? Hmm. And Sister Winifred says, that's a little harsh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Sister Monica Joan quotes Revelation 8-7, which Hmm. Sister Winifred names what it is, so I don't need to tell it but it's about like the earth being destroyed as an allusion to nuclear war Mm. as sister monica joan making an allusion to nuclear war yeah i like sister Sister winifred's like i never much got read a lot of revelation (laughs) (laughs) she's so sweet skimmed revelation (laughs) so doris goes into labor early in the morning and sends her husband and children off before calling the midwife now too late for a transfer out of the city. Jenny delivers the the little girl, her husband coming home before the adoption agent can come. He flies into a rage when he sees the baby, but Dr. Turner enters and stops him. The baby is immediately taken away from Doris, who names her Carol. Carol stays with the Turners overnight, who dote on her, hoping for their own baby. Timothy even gives her his beloved stuffed bear. So Doris going into labor early, like we didn't expand on, but the whole plan was for her to go out, go away, and give birth secretly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was telling her husband, like, oh, I'm, you know, anemic, and I need to go out to Essex to give birth. And and of course, that doesn't work out. No. And uh, part of the, the like... Sister Julianne sends Jenny there uh, with the instructions that that there's no pain like the separation of mother and child. Mm -hmm. So, like, she's already arranged for this adoption. Uh, That's what you have to prepare her for. It occurs to me, actually, suddenly that there's no pain like the separation of mother and child is like a... separation of mother and child is a little literal description of birth yeah and then emotional separation is adoption so she's like and uh nelly and her mother have recently been separated yeah death so the mother and child separated and it's painful in nelly's case it's painful on the child Mm -hmm. it's physically painful and then Jenny has to prepare and help Doris through the emotional pain of, like, her child is going to be adopted away. And, of course, they can't keep it a secret from Mr. Astin, who comes home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because she was clearly in labor in the morning. Like, Doris, come on. Yeah. Doris does not make the best choices, but obviously she does not make the best choices. She doesn't have uh, many good choices in front of her once the... I mean, once she's pregnant, she doesn't have a lot of good choices in front of her. Mm -hmm. And Um, this is where we see on this show 
pregnancies, wanted and unwanted, and what women do to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Because she could have tried the abortionist like a few episodes ago and gone that route and probably died or gotten sick. Yeah. Or she could have, you know, like all kinds of options may have been available to her, but this is the one she ended up taking. And none of them good. None of them good. You know, none of the options. And Doris's story kind of wraps up earlier, although the, the, she, they heard, Baby gets taken away for adoption, and uh, Jenny comes with Epsom salts to dry up her milk. Oh, yeah. She says, milk is all I've got to remember her by. Mm-hmm. That's a thing we've seen already. We've seen that already. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was going to say, the, the the baby being taken to uh, Dr. Turner and Sheila's overnight mm-hmm. is... Uh, is a theme we've been seeing over the past few episodes that they've gotten married. They want a child of their own and Sheila's not pregnant yet. And this is like, she's like the next baby I hold, I want to be my own. And it's very sweet. And there's just this strong desire there that we're seeing. of. Speaking of too good for this world though, I think Timothy is maybe just a touch too angelic in this. uh... To give his bear. Yeah. (laughs) It's sweet, but it's also a little implausible. Although it is like I was too old for him anyway, and Doctor and Doctor Turner's like, yeah, I wasn't gonna say, but yeah, I think uh, he may regret it later that he gave away his bear to a ran- basically a random baby instead of you know saving it for a future sibling. Yeah, but I do think that a kid might be like, oh, this baby, I'll give it my special toy. And then, oh, yeah, now my special toy is gone forever. Maybe that was so great. <laughs> so it is angelic, but it's also just like an impulsive kid thing to do. Maybe. <laughs> it is sweet, though, seeing the yep. three of them with the baby. Yeah. Moving on to Nellie. Nellie has a difficult and long labor, and Cynthia helps her relax with the techniques they've learned. Sister Evangelina is critical but Cynthia is successful at breathing her through labor, and she has a little boy. Sister Evangelina concedes in the end and tells Cynthia she was right. <laughs> Jenny visits Doris, who has written her daughter a letter, but when Miss Ellaby takes the baby, she refuses it on behalf of the parents who want no contact. The nuns keep the letter instead, hoping that Carol may someday contact them. In the kitchen... The midwives do dishes and giggle, Trixie and Jenny finally getting past their fight. Alec shows up later, on his way to the peace march. Jenny doesn't go with him, but gives him a peace rose. Jenny helps Doris do her hair and leave the house. She runs into a neighbor, and her son tells them, no baby, which is all that really needs to be said. Mature Jenny ends the show narrating about becoming bold and feeling like they were changing the world. So, of course, Nellie has complications, and of mm-hmm. course, she might need forceps. Yeah. And Sister Evangelina says a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, and I think she's right. Yeah. Like, Sister Evangelina is so poo pooey of uh, natural relaxation, etc. Uh, and after the labor, she says, You were right not to listen to me, but I think that 
that I think basically Dr. Latham and Cynthia agree with Sister Evangelina that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah. And so the question, if you have a little knowledge, the question is, do you try to have no knowledge or do you try to have a lot of knowledge? Because mm-hmm. a little is is bad. Yeah. This is it's a big uh, tangent, but it reminds me of a essay by John Milton called Areopagitica, where he says that innocence by ignorance, like not knowing anything about evil, is no longer an option to us since the uh, fall. Mm. And that now that we live in a post-lapsarian world, we don't have the option to just not know about things. And so basically we don't have the option of no knowledge. Mm. And a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, so we should know as much as we can. (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely how I live my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I should say, say too, that like... uh, my praise of natural childbirth and all those things. But I do think that interventions are necessary a lot of, I don't know, sometimes a lot of the time, whatever. And so there's also a way as women who have this knowledge of natural childbirth can go to the hospital with like their birth plan that's going to work out in the end. And of course, that's also, you can't plan for it. Yeah. You can have knowledge going into it, but making a uh, I will give birth this way plan also doesn't necessarily work. And they show here, like, Sister Evangelina is like, okay, you can do this uh, huffing and puffing fairy way. But if she needs intervention, I am going to intervene. Like, yeah, I'm standing exactly. by. Yeah. And then it turns out that she doesn't, and it all turns out fine. But, like, Mm -hmm. Sister Evangelina is there, ready to step in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where... I I jumped the gun, because this is where uh, uh, Jenny brings Epsom salts to dry up the milk. And we have the whole milk is all she'll remember of me, and she gives her the letter. Mm -hmm. And they have that conversation, Sister Monica Joan... About letters to Santa. Yeah. They're like, what are you even talking about? (laughs) But like... But it's the act of writing the letter. The letter writing is for the letter writer. Mm -hmm. Except it's more than just a letter to Santa because they'll hold on to it Mm -hmm. in case she ever does want. Which she probably won't because in those days, I don't know. Well, no, a child... No, because she'd grow up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this child could very much be alive now. Like, if this child was real, born in the 50s, they're in their 60s right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. <laughs> I just, like, we see always... Maybe I'm overly, like, we see so much on this show's version of adoption because 50s, 60s version of adoption, I assume. I don't really know anything about it except in fiction. But the show's version of adoption is always so closed mm-hmm. that I'm like, I feel very pessimistic about reunite reuniting. I, I feel pessimistic about them reuniting with their parents, but I do feel like what we're seeing now in the 21st century is these 
people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s going back and finding their birth parents from that long ago. Or that finding even, a letter. That a... Or finding a letter. So, like, she could go back in, like, the 90s and find that letter, oh. I hope. That's my dream. It's for that little girl, Carol, whose name is probably not Carol. Yeah. Christmas special 2027. Yeah, should show exactly. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not important at all, by the way. It's extremely unimportant. But, like, they seem to show her stirring a spoonful of Epsom salts into a glass of drinking water. But you don't drink it, do you? Yeah. Yeah. You drink it? Yeah. I thought it was, like, topical. No, you drink it. Huh. You drink the Epsom salts to help dry up your milk. Okay. <laughs> I I no, I will try I will take your word for it and believe you. I I think it maybe also could be topical, but no, it's actually it's taken internally. I did not realize that. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't really matter. Um Trixie and Jenny are friends again. Alec is a lousy hippie in a car covered in peace signs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, he's on the right side of history, marching for nuclear disarmament. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he talks about, she talks about her vocation. Like, he's kind of like, like, they're just getting more and more in love, the two of them. And it's kind of implied that maybe like, you know, hey, are we heading towards marriage kind of thing? And Jenny, uh... You can. She's torn because she's like, this is my vocation. I don't want to leave being in Poplar as a midwife. Yeah. I'm not going to explain something symbolic about her not going on the peace march. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that it's... She wants... And they, her voiceover, she wants to change the world. And the Alec and Jenny perhaps are... Perhaps this is how it ties in a bit. Alec and Jenny are both changing the world in their own ways. And she doesn't want to give up her way of changing the world for his way. Mm-hmm. Just because she recognizes that his way is valuable. Yes, exactly. You know? Exactly. Her sphere of changing the world or what have you. Yeah. And it, I mean, and the episode ends with this heartbreaking moment with Doris leaving her house and her neighbor being completely ignorant of like, we haven't heard your baby cry. What's going on? And finally, the son is just like, no baby. baby and that's all like that's all that needs to be said for the neighbors to be like oh she's lost the baby you know like it doesn't unless Searle goes around spreading rumors which he might the assumption will just be that the baby died yeah and like on one hand it would be very clear that like uh a baby being adopted is not the same thing as a baby dying, but practically for Doris, yeah, it's the same. It's lost, like she's lost her baby, and the mm-hmm. the hair splitting of it's alive somewhere might make some people feel better, might make Doris feel better eventually. But right now, all that matters to her is no baby, no baby. Yep. We have. In the Sister Monica Joan says about the suffering of women, that really plays out in this mm. episode, hey? Yeah. 
Like Nellie Short overcomes the suffering of childbirth, sort of, through relaxation and embracing her instincts. Does Doris overcome her suffering? No. No. And that, like, that in an episode about instincts, what Doris needs to do is fight against her instincts, not give in to them. Mm-hmm. That, like, the solution for Nellie is to trust, relax and trust her instincts. But the solution for Doris is not that. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, Sister Monica Jones' words just playing out. That yeah, you're, exactly. Trust your instincts and give and relax and give away and uh give up on fear or whatever it's like the suffering of women extends beyond childbirth are you gonna how are you yeah exactly and it comes back to what you said earlier too about the midwives recognize that their caring for the women in their care is more than just in the moment of childbirth Mm -hmm. and there's no option for doris to like leave her husband there, I mean, there is the option, but it's a very difficult option yeah, it's a... in this situation that he could just leave her, but that would leave her destitute. She has no good good options. No, she has no good options here. So what was your favorite moment in this episode? My favorite part, even though it is really sad... Especially in the context of the whole show. My favorite part is, I hope it's not a brother because they just punch you. (laughs) Aw, that is a sweet moment. (laughs) And it just, I mean, I both like it because it's funny and I also like it because it really shows that uh, without being, banging your head over, banging over your head with it, that like, the Doris's kids also lose a baby. Yeah, exactly. She's not the only one who loses that baby. Mm-hmm. Right? What was your favorite part? Uh, I think it's a part that we didn't actually dwell on all that long, but it's when Dr. Latham asks Cynthia to lead the, Ooh, yeah. the relaxation. He gives it over to her, which I found brought him so far up in my esteem. That's what made me like him is that he's like, well, no, these are your women. You know, you lead the relaxation. You're prepared for it. And I love anyone that gives Cynthia power (laughs) because she's so timid in so many ways that it makes me really happy when Cynthia gains power. And also, man, like Dr. Latham is not perfect, but I like him a lot for that kind of thing. Yeah, he's not. It's it's funny that he we have in his mouth the like well-meaning but patriarchal medical institution that he doesn't recognize that he is that yeah but although he is that he also truly is Mm (laughs) well-meaning right like yeah so there's this tension there but he as an individual is a very appealing and likable person Mm -hmm. and his ideas are uh obviously helpful to cynthia even though he also has like classism and thinks of primitives and you know he has certainly and has blinders on about what how to help the women of poplar and and in the world and Mm -hmm. he's not perfect but i like the nuance that they give him and i like that moment a lot too me too all right well that's this episode uh if you have anything 
you want to talk to us about, about Call the Midwife or anything we've said, you can contact us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can email us poplar at clockworksacademy.com. If you like what we do, if you want to throw us a little support, patreon.com slash clockworkscast is our Patreon. And we sometimes throw up little bonus things there if you support us. Haven't in a while, but we might start soon. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's Uh, been... (laughs) This last couple months have been quite a decade. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just want to be clear that when we started this show... It was the very beginning of 2020, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And so I'm just proud of us for getting this many episodes out. We're all in this together. The Absolutely. End. The end. <laughs> I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my poplar opinion. <laughs>